Welcome to our podcast today on Small Business Horsepower. Small Business Horsepower podcast is hosted by Podbean, and you can catch it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Tumblr, a number of other sites, and on our website, smallbusinesshorsepower.com. I think this audience is going to be very pleased today. Chuck Crumpton joins the program He's got an amazing podcast himself, and I was on his show the other day, and I realized that he's got a great story to tell our audience, so I asked him to come on this week. Chuck, welcome to our podcast today on Small Business Horsepower. Mayhole, thank you very much. It's a real privilege. You know, I felt like we had such a connection when you were on my show. You were a great guest, by the way. And it's uh, it's my goal to live up to the standard that you have set as a guest. Uh, honored to be a guest on your show. It's our pleasure to have you. Chuck, I was reading a little bit of the background here, and you grew up on a tobacco farm. Is that right? In Blanche? Is that how you say it? In Blanche, North Carolina. And family was a tobacco farmer, and you worked the fields. Tell me a little bit about that, because I'm building up to how that hard work relates to small business horsepower. Mayhole, it was uh, quite a journey. I'm not sure my grandmother was the biggest fan of my early career on the tobacco farm, but my dad, uh, who is still alive, retired from farming, but really taught me incredible work ethic. He and my mom both gave me that gift, and I, I say it that way very sincerely. They just taught me how to work hard. So early days on the farm, literally at five years old, you know, my dad and mom would roost me out of bed. Uh, We had a 4.30 a.m. breakfast and we were always in the field. Uh, And this, this is funny, but very, very, very true. At the time, it was not very funny. But today, you know, all these years later, I look back with humor. My dad's theory was he wanted to be in the field ready to go. And we did the hand test. And for him, the hand test was, if you can see your hand, then you can start picking the tobacco. And we would wait in the field and, you know, at six, seven, eight years old at four 50 in the morning, the extra 10 minutes of sleep was just precious. Right. But my dad just wanted us to be there, be in the field, be ready to go you know, when the sun came up and it, we would, we just worked hard. We worked very, very, very hard from sun up literally to sundown and may hold. There were days, many, many, many days that I would come in from, you know, working on the farm. And this is, this is an absolute true statement. I would have enough energy to either take a shower or eat supper. I couldn't do both. I, I had nothing left in the tank after, you know, 14 or 15 hours in the field, hot sun, humid, you know, summers in North Carolina. And, you know, we just did that day after day, six days a week. Thank God we had Sundays off. That was a good opportunity to go fetch the cows that had broken out of the fence. Somehow, some way they chose to break through the fence on Sundays versus Wednesdays. So we had to chase cows a lot of times on, uh, on Sundays, but, you know, looking back, it, truly was uh, the formation of an incredible work ethic. And again, I give my parents credit that they just taught me how to work hard. 
Yeah, and then I read a little bit that you ended up in religious schools both before high school and then at Bobby Jones Univer- Bob Jones University there. So tell me about that, like going to a religious school uh, all the way through your childhood and kind of uh, how that shapes you in different ways, good and bad. Yeah, you know, I will. Um, I have learned and I have grown in just my personal life to be very vulnerable. I I believe in vulnerability and transparency and in being real and raw. So I will tell you, it was probably good. I went to Bob Jones University as an 18 year old. Um, Had I gone to my my favorite school of choice, uh, University of North Carolina, I'm a big Tar Heel fan. Had I gone there, which is the largest beer consuming per capita town in America, you know, the the 40,000 other kids who consume a lot of beer, I probably today would have been either dead or in jail, you know, because I just, I have a party spirit and love to party. And probably at 18, it was better for Chuck to be at Bob Jones than to be at UNC, but it was, it was a great time. It gave me or helped give me a worldview you know, I didn't agree. There were a lot of parts of fundamentalism and religiosity that I, that I didn't embrace or chose not to embrace, but it was a good education, a good school, good people. And, you know, it did, frankly, maybe comically, it did sort of keep me out of trouble in my college years. I may have been, and this is true story. I may have been the only college kid to go from age 18 to 22 and then graduated without drinking a single beer. That's the truth. I didn't qualify. (laughs) Now, let me be honest. I've made up for it since then, but I did. I made it four years without consuming a sip of alcohol because that was the rule. And, you know, so to answer your question, I think the, the work ethic that my parents gave me along with the, the education and the strictness of Bob Jones, you know, in, in that worldview system, did help form and shape and continue, you know, what I, how I was trained and, you know, just to be a good guy, to work hard, to treat people right, to be honest, uh, to operate with extreme integrity, you know, all of those things that are, are of course, very, very positive. So it helped kind of uh, form who Chuck Crumpton became and, and then later as a parent, what I tried to do with my kids and give them a similar worldview, maybe not as conservative, not as perhaps right wing or whatever, but, you know, to give a, a, a worldview of working hard, doing it right, treating people right, extreme integrity, just being a good world citizen, trying to make a difference, trying to leave it better than you found it um, has really kind of been the my mantra of now 58 years. Yeah. And then before you get into uh, your own business, of course, we all, most of us, at least, I would think, started working for someone else. So tell us about your early career. Was it Telman or uh, some telemark- uh, telecommunications type of businesses, uh, MCI, Verizon, all these type of places where it seems to me you were always one of the top sales getters and you developed so many sales teams that were the top sales team within your individual units. Tell me a little bit about that. Mayhol, you have done your research, man. I'm dredging up some memories now, you know, 40 years later, but I appreciate you asking that question. Yeah, I came out of school and this is really 
interesting because one of my, the guy who hired me is still to this day, uh, a mentor of mine, Leighton Kubich. I actually saw him a few weeks ago at a restaurant in, in, uh, in the upstate of South Carolina, but interesting. And this, this is a comical connection to my Bob Jones days. Uh, I went through six or seven interviews to be hired. And the, the last interview, I guess I passed all the tests. They were big into kind of psychological tests and all that kind of stuff. And as I left the building that day, getting the job offer, uh, the last stop on the tour of this big corporate office was the gym. And Leighton showed me the gym and then we sort of went out the back door and he said, Chuck, you know, you're hired and looking forward to working with you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I got one final question. And I said, uh, okay, you know, I've been through now 474 of those questions, but sure, far away. And he said, Chuck, what kind of beer do you like? And I thought that was an interesting question. Later, I realized he was asking me, can you take that very conservative background that you've had in college and can you equate it to sort of normal life uh, with a bunch of other 23, 24, 25 year olds? So his message was, we work hard and we play hard. And I said, I forgot what I said uh, on the beer, but I thought, wow, what a philosophy, my first job in the workplace work hard and play hard. So Leighton taught me the push-pull principle. You know, I'm going to do everything I can do to help the person, you know, that's upstream and downstream, you know, that I work with, you know, people that I report to and people that report to me. I'm just going to work my tail off to make those people successful. And it was really, really cool. He, you know, again, that formation, that foundation of my parents, the work ethic and then the worldview and then Leighton just giving me a an opportunity to succeed. And I'll never forget, there's so many stories. I'll tell you the first story. My first day on the job, it was a sales office in Greensboro, North Carolina. I went to meet the local manager. The local manager took me down the hall to my office, private office, opened the door. And in that office, Mayhole was a telephone and a telephone book. And he said, you know, welcome to the team. He called me Chuckster. Chuckster, welcome to the team. Good luck. And he closed the door. And I sat there staring at that phone. And this is honestly what I said to myself, what the hell am I doing? I've been through the training, but what am I doing here? How did I find myself in this? Anyway, I made 23 calls that day. I'll never forget because it was, it was traumatic, but I remember making those 23 calls and, you know, the, the principle of just packing the pipe, building a funnel, getting prospects in the door. And, you know, it did, it led to a lot of success, but Leighton taught me a, a process of just taking care of the customer. He had a, a, a saying that I just reminded him of recently, kiss them to their lips bleed love on the customer so much and take care of them and do what you say you're going to do. And if you do that, you may not win every single deal, but you're going to win a lot of deals. Right. And he taught me that. And I tried to, as I built, you know, went up the organization and started to manage teams. I took that same philosophy, work hard, do right, take care of your customer, be a good citizen, do what you say you're going to do work your tail off, enjoy the fruits of your labor, work hard, play hard. And Leighton taught me that. Thank God he is still teaching. He, and he formed that formed 
me building my company and my teams and everything that came after that was a foundation of those principles. Yeah. And then, of course, came that moment and many moments in business we have, but personally as well, you face that adversity. And I read that you, a story here, you found yourself getting divorced and at 1130 at night, you packed your bag and got a cab and here you are in a small apartment and uh, you don't know what you're going to do. And, you know, you own these big houses and uh, the telecom business is going down the drain and uh, there's a lot of things happening and you know tell our audience yeah how you navigate through that very kind of tough period where you have to really believe in yourself correct you know everything i said prior to that comment or that question may hold about you know that personal chapter in my life thank god for that foundation because had i not been anchored and with strength, with fortitude, and just being resolved, I'm not sure I could have made it through that chapter, you know? And I remember, I'll never forget that night. It was actually Easter Sunday weekend, 2014, that Saturday night, driving at midnight with a cab driver, an older gentleman, all of my stuff in bags, garbage bags, nonetheless. And we pull up at this apartment, one bedroom apartment. I had a bed in there. Things had become rocky in the marriage. And I got this apartment just as a place of a refuge, so to speak. And anyway, I had a bed and a fold up table in there. And he helped me carry the clothes up the steps. And I'll never forget the humbling reality of walking into that cold, dark apartment on Saturday night in April of 2014. And he said to me, he didn't know my name. He, I was a writer, but he said to me, he said, it will get worse before it gets better, but it will get better. And I went to bed. I woke up Sunday morning, Easter morning, and I realized where had my life my goal of being a great father and a great husband and having a, you know, a 50 year marriage and, you know, being a pinnacle of society here, I'm in this cold one bedroom, one fold up table apartment. And, you know, for, for days and weeks and really months may really, honestly, I looked at the TV some days, not even knowing that it was on a lot of times, just looking at the wall. But I realized, you know, I had a responsibility to myself. I had a responsibility to my community, to my family, uh, to my team. I had a successful business and thank God I had a great management team, senior management team. And they came to me one day in my darkest hour, they came to me and they said, Chuck, we've got you, we've got your back. We will carry you through this chapter. And they did, and they did it with excellence and splendor and love and care. And my message in all of that, Mayhol, is to say, Chuck Crumpton, without the people in his life, my coworkers, my family, my friends, you know, I'm not sure if I'd have made it because of that darkness and because of that despair, but they just loved on me. They cared for me. They cared for my soul. They cared for my, my heart and my head. And they literally carried me through 
the muck and the mire of life. And, you know, now eight, nine years later, I remain incredibly grateful that I got through that dark hour because of my family and friends and coworkers. And my two adult children are closer to me now than they've ever been. We have truly become like best friends. And you find out though, I, and, and probably more than likely there are people listening to our conversation right now that may be going through something similar. You find out when the lights are turned off and no one is in that cold, dark apartment, but you, you find out what you're made of, but the message I want to just share and, and not to beat it to glue, beat the horse to glue, but there are people around us that care about us. And it's because of those people, we can get through anything in life. Yeah. And speaking of getting through things, let's go back a little bit where you transitioned from telecom, which was, I guess, in a downspin at that time of the market. And then you, you came up with this med point which I was reading was a company for acquiring talent for quality and regulatory people for medical devices and pharma business. And I'm thinking about it and I'm going, how do you transition from telecom to medical device and pharma? And then the more I thought about it, I said, well, it's all the same thing, networking and sales. Let's get to that. But maybe you give your spin on that. Yeah. You know, and this is not certainly not meant as false humility at all. But, you know, when I started MedPoint, I could barely spell FDA. But, you know, I started a company in telecom technology and it was doing very, very well. The dot-com disaster of the late 90s, you know, around 2000, the industry just blew up. We had a in our company, our business, we were doing very, very well. We had a 90% reduction in revenue. And it's really, really, really hard. I, I think I think my income had gone from around 300 or so in 1999 to 18,000 in 2000. So it's hard, really, really hard to keep the lights on when you have a 90% reduction uh, in your revenue. So I, I knew that, you know, the technology industry because of the dot-com blow up, was not going to you know rebound quickly it was going to take a few years i had a wife stay at home mom that you know that stayed at home with our two small kids and both of my kids really like to eat so i knew i had to do something different and i looked at a lot of different industries i looked at finance and law and you know a lot of different major industries and healthcare just seemed to click with me it seemed to resonate and it had some resiliency uh, i knew that you know people were going to you know, get sick and die and, and the industry would be well and I could feed my family. So I started MedPoint. Very, very, very fortunate. Uh, one of my early clients, the Fuji Medical out of Stanford, Connecticut, part of the Fuji Global Empire, gave me a shot at filling their chief quality officer role. So I had to go out and look for a, a CQO. Thank goodness it was a CQO and not a quality engineer. Had I been, you know, forced to get in the weeds of, of engineering, there's no way I could have, I, I didn't know what to look for, but I'd been at a strategic level in leadership. And I, I knew from a strategy standpoint, what a CQO, you know, could do and would do in an organization. Long story short, they gave me a 90 day agreement to find this CQO. I found the guy on day 88 
thank goodness. And he started and it was a good fit, you know, and he said, look, I need to fill, you know, my whole quality and regulatory organization. Can you find me a vice president? We did that. Can you find me a manager? We did that. You know, long story. It was a, a really good way to get started because of the fees associated with finding good talent. And then the company over the next couple of years just did really well. We started to get a name and a reputation. Again, going back to just doing good work, doing it honestly, treating people right, following up. You know, if someone called us, we called them back. If we said we're going to do it, let's do it. Let's be, let's just be good business people, be good citizens of this industry that we're involved in. And the company did well. Kimberly Clark came on board, a couple other large ones. Johnson and Johnson came on board in uh, 2004 and we were, we were launched, you know, as a quality and regulatory, um, consulting company now. And we began, you know, we went international in 2006 and really just began to hit our big time growth in, in the, in the late 2000s, 2007, 2008. And you were all, I heard you were almost picnic table that Johnson and Johnson. Let me explain that. So when I had my company, I had a sales rep and she lived in Houston. I send her to Indianapolis. She said, she's going to drive all the way there to see an account in aerospace. So she goes to the account and the buyer doesn't let her in. He comes outside and meets her. It was like a moat because that facility was below the ground, that aircraft maintenance facility. So you below was a picnic table. So he met her on a picnic table and she never got in to see the other buyers. And she came back and I got upset and I said, did you see the facility? Did you see the airplanes in there? Did you see the products they knew? No. I said, I want you to go back. So she goes back. Again, that buyer who's trying to control everything comes out and meets her on the picnic table. And that's it. All the way from Houston, she drove. So anyway, we let her go, not just for that, but for other reasons. So later, I told one of my inside sales guys, I said, let's call on that facility. This was like a few years later. So I called over there, right? I talked to the another buyer. I didn't want to talk to this guy who was still there. And I said, we want to come see you. She's like, okay, we'll give you an appointment. So I'll remember it was like in Indianapolis a week before the Giants beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. It's about 10 degrees outside. Me and my inside sales guy, we drive up to the facility and we start walking in, but we look down to the right and we see that picnic table. Now we get to the, the uh, reception area inside the building and I ask for the buyer. So receptionist calls her. I'm waiting there and I kind of hear she's not coming down and that I don't need a badge to get beyond the turnstile to get into the hangar. And I see the airplanes below. So now me and this guy, we have another appointment about an hour later. We're waiting there 20 minutes and here comes the original guy, the one that met my sales rep at that picnic table. He comes and he says, uh, she's not coming down. Uh, you know, I'm the guy who buys this commodity. I'm in charge. I've been here since the beginning. And he takes our story in one year and out the other year. And I said, what about your boss? Well, you know, you got to make an appointment with him in advance and this and that and what. So anyway, we walk out discouraged 
And we're walking away and I look at the other guy and I look down at that picnic table and I said, Tyler, we just got picnic tabled. We came all the way. We came all the way to Indianapolis and we got we didn't get further than she did. We were picnic tabled. And I was reading that you almost got picnic table at Johnston and Johnson. Is that correct? <laughs> Tell me about that. To J&J's credit, I was early in the business. I didn't have any money. We we're trying to keep the lights on. And, you know, I got, I was very fortunate to get an audience. Uh, and of course, J&J is a, a massive company. They remain just a phenomenal a customer of, of MedPoint to this day. And so it's been a 10-year relationship that's just been a great partnership. But you know, in trying to get the account, you know, I'm a Southerner and rednecks really don't do well in the snow. Uh, so I had an audience to go and, and meet with the corporate folks, you know, in New Jersey. And I get on a plane again, I, I probably had $1,500 in the bank, took me a thousand to get, you know, on a plane, get to New Jersey, get a rental car, drive 25 miles in the snow park. As I'm walking across the parking lot to go into the corporate lobby. I get a phone call from the person I'm meeting with her assistant who says, you know, calls the lady by name, said, uh, she's not going to be able to meet with you. And I stopped. And again, I'm, I, there's 10 or 11 inches of snow on the ground. And I stop and I said, I'm sorry, but in all due respect, I have to meet with her. I don't have any other options. Of course, I didn't tell her, you know, I'm out of money and, you know, no place to go, but I said, I, I have to meet with her. Please help me. Please help me. You know, I'm in a situation where I need your help and I need to meet with this person. I said, I'll be as flexible as I need to be, but I really, really need your help. Long story. The lady was super nice, you know, worked out a, and they were just having a bad day, right? We, we all have bad days and we all have scheduled screw ups and all that kind of stuff. It had just been one of those perfect storm days with their calendar, but they were very kind and gracious. And they made a way for me to get upstairs and I only had a few minutes, but we had enough value proposition in, in those 10 or 15 minutes to start a relationship. And, you know, that was, uh, early 2004. And again, now 18 years later, we're still in the building and we now support J and J all over the world, but it started with that walking across the snow, getting the rejection, but sometimes you just got to do what you got to do, right? You do. And you avoided the picnic table. Uh, <laughs> I would have been, uh, that is so funny, Mayhill. I, I think I would have been filleted on the picnic table. You know, I would still be on the picnic table had I not, you know, and again, they were gracious to, uh, to be kind to me as a visitor. Do you still run MedPoint or did you sell the, uh, that company? I did. I sold the company, uh, July 1st of 2020. So it's been about a year and a half. Um, I still, um, remain, um, as an advisor, I serve in the role of a founder for the company, still own a portion of the stock, but sold the majority interest July 1st of 2020. Did you look for a buyer to get out and sell it or did someone find you? Yeah, really good question. I knew in, you know, in, in total transparency, I really thought that I had taken the company. And again, going back to the dark chapter of 2014, having that senior management team, 
they really, you know, people ask me, Chuck, what was the secret behind MedPoint? Well, the secret was our people. We had just, and we still do, great, great people. They get all the credit. I was privileged to lead a phenomenal group of people. But let me be clear, they get the credit. But I felt like, Mayhole, I had taken the company as far as I could take it as CEO. And it was time for me to transition the company to, you know, bigger and better hands. And so I reached out, developed a relationship with a broker and, you know, who had the same kind of same philosophy that I did, same ideals, a lot of the same worldview. Let, let's just do this right. And so we went through the brokerage process. The, the guy did a really good job for me. Uh, the company uh, was and still is doing very, very, very well. We were positioned. We were ready because we were clicking on all eight cylinders. And our broker that we dealt with actually brought four offers to the table. And we had uh, four LOI sitting in front of us. And I just went through. And, and to me, the, the buyer for, for me, for Chuck Crumpton, really had to be someone or a group that embraced my ideals. And, you know, we were aligned philosophically and I won't go into a lot of detail, but they were the group out of town, totally different region of the, uh, of the country flew down, met me. We developed a very good rapport. And I felt like that group, the private equity group really shared in those ideals with me again, going back to being six years old on the farm, working your tail off, doing it right, operating with extreme integrity, doing what you say you're going to do great. You know, all the things that were important to me in building MedPoint, they were also important in selling MedPoint. So they still run the company the way I ran the company. I ran it for 20 years and I hope the company will continue to grow. I feel optimistic that it will, but the companies run on the same ideals and principles and philosophies that we had day one. And largely, largely to just bring value to a customer, don't focus on the dollar, focus on the deliverable. If you deliver what you say you're going to do and you deliver with passion and enthusiasm and integrity, the dollars will follow right? The dollar is a result of you doing your job and doing it right. Well, Chuck, I think you delivered and you delivered for our audience, I believe as well today on small business horsepower. It was so great having you on the show. Uh, before we go, Chuck, where can they find the Chuck Crumpton show? I'm, I hope to be on it soon and you're making a lot of episodes. So tell us about that, your book or anything else you want to talk about here, where they can find Chuck Crumpton. Mayhole, thank you. First of all, thank you for allowing me to be a guest on your show. You, I told my wife when, after we met and we did our episode together, I said, I just really like Mayhole. I just really like him. And I feel like we will be friends for our, you know, for our future. I feel like there's a real connection. There's a camaraderie. And when you find that, you find a gift. So thank you for that gift. Thank you for what you're doing with your show, by the way. We are trying to make a difference with our podcast, The Chuck Crumpton Show. People can go to thechuckcrumptonshow.com to get information about the show. We're on you know, all the major platforms and stuff. 
I do it as a not-for-profit, a way to give back, just to make a difference, to send a good message, to give real and raw business and life, you know, good examples of business and life and a, without a lot of bullshit, just do it right, do it with integrity. My book is called The Jagged Journey. It was really a gift to my parents uh, for their incredible gift to me. And it's just a little memoir of my life. It's an easy read. And uh, the company that I've uh, started after the my midpoint chapter of my life uh, is a M&A firm. It's called Bull Street Mergers and it's bullstreetmergers.com. And again, we're just trying to help business owners get to the point that I got at MedPoint where they are ready to sell if they choose to, or they don't choose to just to get companies healthy. Uh, so our, all the hard work and sacrifice pays off. Right. Uh, and that's the story of my life, man. I I've been so taken care of. I've been so incredibly blessed and fortunate in my life. And I know you have as well, my friend, what an opportunity and a privilege to give back, right? Try to affect the next generation. Yes, it is. Thank you, Chuck. Thanks for coming on the program. We hope to talk to you again. Awesome. Thank you, Mayhole.